Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the TalkSport Fight Night podcast. I'm Gareth A. Davis. Joining me this week is Spencer Oliver. We are speaking tonight to some of the biggest names in the sport. Frank Warren, Bob Arum, George Foreman, Eddie Hearn, Daniel Dynamite Dubois. But first of all, we began by speaking about the victorious Anthony Joshua. You were out there. I wasn't there for health reasons last week. I had a lot of fun here with Shannon Briggs and Frank Bruno sitting either side of me doing a, a commentary stream for, for a betting uh, agent. And it was great fun. I haven't done that before. And it, we were like three... I tell you, Frank Bruno ate for six rounds. He was, he was eating his way through what we had, Ruiz burgers, yeah? We were having Ruiz burgers during the fight, yeah? Um, you were out there in Saudi Arabia. Let's just do the top line here. Fantastic for Anthony Joshua to reclaim those four, if you count the International Boxing Organization heavyweight belt, which is a lesser belt, but to reclaim the World Boxing Association, the International International Boxing Federation, and the World Boxing Organization heavyweight belts. What a night. It was a huge night for Anthony Joshua and for British boxing. I mean, for, you know, the psychological battles that Anthony Joshua had to overcome to turn that around was, it was quite incredible. And, and you know, the twists and turns, Gareth, that were happening through the week was, it was, it was an incredible week. Anthony Joshua pulled it out of the bag. He proved a lot of people wrong, including myself. We didn't believe, we thought it was going to be too soon. Could he implement the, the tactics that he needed to? Could he stay disciplined? Well, the answer is yes. He put in a spectacular performance. And yeah, well done, Anthony Joshua. We've got ourselves a heavyweight champion again. He's so important to the lifeblood of British boxing, even to the lifeblood of those huge heavyweight fights that people want to see in the coming 18 months against the likes of Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder, for those that have been living under a rock for the last seven or eight years, of course, the holder of the other heavyweight belt, the World Boxing Council belt. I worked a little bit with Sky News last week as well. I mean, I was in with Jackie Beltrao um, on the morning of the fight and you were reporting like Lawrence of Arabia um, for all like a Middle East correspondent standing there on the rooftops with the camera on you telling us all about it on the morning. And I do remember you picking Andy Ruiz mm. to win that morning as I stood there in front of the screen with Jackie talking about how I thought that Ruiz had let it go with his weight. But 
Um, being around Anthony Joshua, as, as I know, because I've been around him many times, but wasn't last week, um, being around him and very close to him, you do get the sense, don't you, that there's so much import, there's so much pressure, he carries so much, and he's only in the public so many mm -hmm. days a year, that there's a, people don't realise how much pressure Anthony Joshua is carrying. Huge amount of pressure, you know, he's like no other heavyweight, no other boxer out there. Anthony Joshua really is is a brand as well. So, you exactly. know, the defeat for Anthony Joshua was huge. And, and another defeat there, you know, other fighters can come back from that. They can go, you know, rebuild and, and get their title shots again. Anthony Joshua would have found it very hard to come back with another defeat against Andy Ruiz Jr. And that was the pressure on his shoulders. When we turned up there on the Monday and we saw Anthony Joshua and Ruiz Jr. on the public workouts on the Tuesday, I spoke to you the day after on yes. Sports News news yeah. at the public workouts Andy Ruiz Jr. looked sensational forget what people are saying about oh he coming overweight he was 15 20, pounds 20, yeah. 20 stone 3 pounds yeah. on the Tuesday myself and probably 90% of the other reporters the other boxing that. experts out there went yeah we just looked and went, wow. We saw Anthony Joshua. We had the fighters meeting with Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua looked very What slim. do you mean by the fighters meeting? Explain to the listeners what that is. Right, so the fighters meeting is we get an opportunity. With the broadcasters. To, the broadcasters get an opportunity to for the fighters to come in. They sit down and we talk to them and, and try and find out stuff so that we can do it on a commentary, whether we're working the commentary or the punditry. We sit down and we chat to the fighters and just try and find out what they've been up to, how their training camps have gone, and get a little more up close it's and very personal. intimate isn't it very intimate uh, I know because I've had the privilege when I work on TV of doing the fighter meetings and it you're, you're, what it is what, what, what I wanted to get across to the listeners as well is in those meetings it's Chatham House Rules as mm. we would call it what goes on in that meeting is not you don't write about it no. you don't broadcast it you yeah. use it for the night yeah, don't absolutely. you for, for the actual night of the sure. it's a very privileged position to be in because you're not going to go out there and spill it on Twitter or and so you had that feeling sure. there was so much heaped on him that he may not be able to come through it. Well, we spoke to Andy Ruiz Jr. and he was in a great place and we'd seen him in the public workout yes, yes. the night before and he looked sensational. So straight away I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be a tough order now with Joshua, mm. you know, with the psychological battles that he's got to overcome. Then we saw Joshua, who had dropped a load of weight, coming at 16, stone 13, a career lightest for a number of years. Um, and I just thought, you know what? He's too light. You're worrying he was too light, weren't you? He was too light. And, <laughs> I, I, yeah. and, my, and my beliefs were, and yeah. you know, Gareth, that I've known Anthony Joshua before he started boxing, when he first walked into the gym. So I've known him a long time. Now, I'll tell you one thing that I do know about Anthony Joshua. He loves a fight. He loves to stand there and he loves to have a tear-up. Now, I didn't think that Joshua could could stick to the game plan, stay disciplined and be on the move for 12 rounds. I didn't think that his legs would carry him around there like that for 12 rounds. I know he's always in great condition, but I, I thought at some point he would have to stand and trade and that's where it may come undone for him because Ruiz Jr. has got very slow feet but very quick hands and he's very powerful. Um, so, yeah, it was all about whether Joshua could stay disciplined for 12 rounds not just myself, 90% of the other people as well, included, that 90% of the other media out there thought the same as myself. They thought it's too soon for Joshua. He should have had the warm-up fight first and then he can do it. So what he'd done in that performance 
was quite incredible and, and he, he joined that elite club of winning the immediate rematches. The elite club, of course, and we'll talk to George Foreman about that um, in about uh, 20 minutes, George is joining us. Um, he's been out and about today um, and we spoke to George just a little while before the show and he's delighted to come on air. I spoke to him last week ahead of the fight and we were talking about the three men that have done exactly that. Mm -hmm. The first man to do it was Floyd Patterson in 1960, of course, against Ingemar Johansson. He'd been knocked down seven times uh, by Johansson in their first fight. Uh, of course, Muhammad Ali himself did it against Leon Spinks in 1978, mm -hmm. and Lennox Lewis did it against Hassim Rechman in 2001. Something you touched on just then, I want to ask you as well about this. You said about Anthony Joshua, there's so much resting on him. He's He, he set himself out as the bad bad guy trying to be good, as Eddie Hearn calls him, as sure. we've called him. He's changed his life. He's he, 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 when he was first in the British uh, amateur boxing team, he was he was at a tag when mm. they had electronic tags in those days. Deontay Wilder can breathe, be the wild bronze bomber. Tyson Fury can be the off-the-cuff, mm. quirky, zany fella. Joshua has to play the mainstream because that's his role. That's so, his role. So, so in a way, they have a lot more freedom and flexibility and this is a very kind of uh, um esoteric way of describing it mm. but um he is much more confined to a particular role, isn't he, Anthony? Yeah, yeah, because he's a role model to all the young kids coming through. Now, Anthony Joshua, when he first walked in the gym, had an Asbo against him in Watford. He come to the boxing gym purely because his cousin, Ben Alimi, who was boxing for the club at the time, brought him down there because he had nothing else to do. He tried boxing and found out, actually, he was really good at it. The first year he won the ABAs. The second year he won a silver medal in the, in the World Championships. The third year he won a European silver. And the fourth year he won an Olympic gold. I mean, that's how quick he turned everything around. But but he was the bad guy turned good, and books, boxing was his outlet. You know, he proved that. You know that that boxing can do good. He proved that boxing is what it is, which is a life changer. We then spoke to the legendary George Foreman. Yes, he of the Rumble in the Jungle with Muhammad Ali, and he was mightily impressed with the man Joshua. George is one of those people. George, you are, I, I mean, you're one of the people, one of the reasons why I love covering this sport because you really are a special human being and, you know, you were a big, rough, tough, gruff champion of the world and then you became a preacher. Um, you won the world title back, back 20 years apart. You've done things. At the age of 46, you have done things that not many other people can even boast about dreaming about, you know? How have you done it? Well, it, first, you can't uh, count, discount hard work. And I started dreaming. I was a little boy. I crawled from underneath the house after, and I said I would never steal anything. I was running from the police. Wow. And from that point on, dreams started to pour in, and they've never stopped, even to this day. No one told me, stop dreaming, George. So I kept it up, even as a senior, recapturing the heavyweight championship. And, and today, even working with grandkids and working, period. Once you start dreaming, I never cut the faucet off. The great thing is about you, George, that you just, you're one of those people that grows 
wiser and more liberal with your years and I've always hoped that as as I get older I could become more liberal and the longer I've known you and it is a pleasure to always do interviews and speak with you about the sport we love but also about life um I had the privilege last week of speaking to you before Anthony Joshua fought Andy Ruiz and well you just literally nailed the game plan uh, in the story, I kind of wrote what you said, and that's exactly what he did. You gave us a history lesson with the three fighters. You in did. No, well, not Boy, me. Boy, your, your article, I'm still reading it. It just <laughs> plugged me back in on history. I loved it. But you were spot on in, in you knew exactly the template for Anthony mm. Joshua to develop as a boxer. And, and that's not an easy task he took on because he had to let go of a lot of his own things, tried and stayed a course. He did it. He boxed. And one thing, sooner or later in life, every fighter is going to have to learn to box. And I, I, I was certain there he was ready because this is a strong puncher. To avoid someone that long took a lot of self-control. I'm still proud of that. What did you learn about Anthony Joshua last week in that performance? That not only he's a good fighter and a qualified fighter and a champion, but he's also pure boxer. He's a puncher. He's got a lot of knockouts to prove that. But the man is now labeled boxer puncher. He's put the whole package together now. I learned that. Yeah, George, I wish I had spoke to you the week before the fight because myself and Anthony Joshua go back a long way. I've known him from the first day he put on a pair of gloves and I was one of the guys that thought it was going to be too soon for Anthony Joshua. I thought that going into the immediate rematch was not a great idea. I thought at some point he would have to stand there and fight and that's where Ruiz would come out victorious. But he showed that he could stay disciplined and for the whole 12 rounds and he proved a lot of people, including myself, wrong. And I thought that that makes it an even more impressive victory. I was more than impressed. Talk about the markers. The markers of Queensberry rules. He ruled that sport. That night, he was the man. George, I spoke to you the day after he'd lost to Ruiz in uh, Madison Square Garden in New York, and your advice at the time was rebuild like you did, you know, because yep. you knew, because what you'd gone through after the rumble in the jungle against Muhammad Ali, that he would have been feeling bad. What would, what would, you know, what did you go through then and what would Joshua have been going through quietly, silently, behind the scenes? Yeah, to be honest with you, devastation. Pure physical devastation, though. And when you're physically devastated in that fashion, don't try to mix it with mental, I mean, uh, uh, devastation because you lost a physical match and don't try to make boxing out of something that much psychology. I mean, we got to, those guys who deal with you with psychology, you got to lay on the cot and listen and talk to them. It's not that bad. But you can rehabilitate yourself physically. All you got to do is get in the gym, look at film, and correct your physical mistakes. He did that. And I, that's what impressed me about him. Then he lost. I didn't want him to go too much psychological because we don't. We're not psychologists. We're pure boxers. Well, he is now. We're fighters. 
I'm so impressed with that young man. I'm so impressed. Well, this was my worry for him. The psychological battle was that's what I thought may get the better of him going into the immediate rematch because Joshua, although he's achieved a lot in a short space of time, Olympic champion, world champion, he hasn't been boxing like most of us from a very young age. And that was my big worry, but that's where he proved that he's matured as a fighter. I think he matured that night. Boy, he's got, he should, that's something, that accomplishment... Well, he should be proud of a lot longer than even all of the knockout victories because he had to play chess this time, chess in boxing match, and he won the game. Checkmate. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. George, um, um, where does he have the right to be considered now, given that he's won the three three of the four major belts back. Where does he rank, in your view, alongside the likes of Deontay Wilder, who holds the WBC title, and also Tyson Fury, who was the linear champion? Well, it's all a matter of that night. What have you done for me lately? That's <laughs> the attitude I have about boxing. Yeah. If you win a boxing match last week and I win one this week, I'm tops for the week until you mm-hmm. come back. Uh, uh, Wilder, uh, uh, the Gypsy King, all of them, they've got to do something next to outdo him. But right now, he hails supreme. He's the top kid on the block now. Oscar Wilde said that all comparisons are odious, but could these three, <laughs> yeah, could these three heavyweights have survived in your era, which we always call the golden era of the heavyweights? Well, they are very good boxers. I mean, in one, uh, Wilder proved he can knock a guy out that he had already knocked out before. (laughs) Uh, Joshua proved that he can get up off the canvas, act like a a gentleman, come back, put his fight uh, team together, and win it all again. And, of course, uh, 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 Tyson Fury, we saw what he did to be out so long and go 12 rounds with the heavyweight champion of the world. I mean, these are magnificent fighters who could have existed in any era. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think that, as well, with these three fighters that you've just mentioned, we talk about Deontay Wilder, who, who struggled in his last last fight against Ortiz before that, before that devastating knockout in the seventh round and um, Tyson Fury against Otto Wallin. He looked quite laboured, picked up a bad cut there. Before this before this fight Anthony Joshua had, those guys were ranked quite highly above Joshua because of the Ruiz defeat. Joshua there, victorious against Ruiz Jr. in the second one, surely puts him in my cards as the number, heavy, number one heavyweight at the moment out there. I think he's gone back to the top of the list. You know, like I said, what have you done for me lately? baby. And the latest thing that happened was Joshua to recapture the title. That's the number one event. Mm. Next week or the week after when the next one fight, he impresses us. He is the top on the list. And that's what we like from this bo- these boxers. On any given night, one can be considered the best of them all. George, I doubt whether any of these three men are going to win the title when they're 46 years of age, but I don't want to say they couldn't do that. I hope, I hope we never see that again. <laughs> I think you are I very... Mean, what in the world is a guy doing fighting for the heavyweight title at 45? 
<laughs> and, you know, I fought on until I was about 50. No one needs to do that. I had to do it. But giving it all, putting all those things together, I wish I'd never had to do that. Mm. And I wish they would not. You know, I was a grandfather fighting for the title. It's extraordinary. I mean, it, it is. Well, that's why. That's what makes you. I mean, I mean, you're a bull elephant of a man. Let's be honest for a start. And but you told me when we chatted, and I never put it in my piece that it was your loss to Evander Holyfield, but the way that in which you fought him, that you knew you had worked out a technique and a style at 45, 44, that you could win the title back because you knew that you were resilient enough and tactical enough rather than the big old thumping or big young thumping big George that just destroyed people. You knew you could do it. Can I just finally ask you, um, before we let you go off into invent, because uh, I think you're about to go and invent uh, shoes that are going to make old people walk, aren't they? <laughs> that you once told me. Um, can I just ask you, um, will it be a travesty in this era if these three don't all fight each other? Because it does seem that they're being held apart a little bit by, by their promoters or whoever it is. Would it, because boxing is very healthy, because the world is fascinated in these three giant men potentially going to war with each other in a ring. It, surely it'll be a travesty if they don't fight. Yeah, it, we will all miss something special if we don't see those, especially these three fighters, tops. And now uh, uh, Ruiz is in the mix. Mm. Joshua, I'll box him. Let's see who will come to him and fight him. He's in the mix now. And so I think it would be a loss in boxing if we don't see these guys match up together. George. Especially uh, Wilder. And Joshua. Yes, absolutely. Well, we, we're saying especially Fury and Joshua because we believe that will be the biggest single event, sporting event in this country since England won the World Cup in 1966. It would just be... You better believe it. it Boy, it, you better believe it. Wouldn't that be something? I think that's, I think that's just too much to ask for, though. That's just too much. Well, as I said, I'm, I might be kicking Spencer out of the studio for that event, and I'm getting you to come over and work with me instead, George. But he, he knows that anyway, that if you come in, he moves. Um, oh, no, let's get three chairs. There we go, there we go. You guys. You're such a politician. I love it. Um, listen, you've told me when Muhammad Ali, when Muhammad passed, that there should be a special national holiday in America. George, you are such a great human being that there should be a George Foreman Day in America as well. <laughs> Well, I'm having my day when I see such great boxing matches and guys use their brains as we saw Joshua do the other day. I feel like that was a George Foreman day. Next up came Eddie Hearn having a well-earned rest with a family, but we didn't let him off. We interrupted him and we got his views on where Anthony Joshua goes next and also how he gets Dillian White properly back into the picture after his exoneration by UK. Well, my dad always said to me, if you can get 1% of the adrenaline that your fighter gets, you'd be a very lucky man. And I felt like I got about 35% last, last Saturday because it was just, you know, the way everything had unfolded from the loss at Madison Square Garden and the pressure on Joshua in Saudi Arabia, you know, the surprise... The, the defeat was such a surprise. And I knew how much he wanted to win. I knew how low he got after that 
a loss. And he's not the kind of guy to talk about that. But I know, and he would never have told me, but I could see it in his face. I could see it in his demeanour. And I just wanted him to win so bad, you know, because like everything that he'd worked towards got taken away from him. And even like, and it's funny now, you know, people saying, oh, you know, Rooney's weren't in great shape and stuff like this. Trust me, at, and Spencer will tell you, at the open workout two days before, everyone was watching Ruiz going, oh, no. Well, Spencer picked him. Spencer picked him. Do you you know what? No, but I I picked him. Everybody that was ringside at the workout Mm. started saying, oh, no. Well, that's that's when I thought, Eddie, then, when I saw the open workout and he looked so sharp on the pads. And, yeah, Mm. I know he come in heavy on the night, but, yeah, he was well wrapped up when he was was doing the work. It was only three days before. Yeah, absolutely. But he looks incredible. People aren't, people aren't, well, listen, everyone's giving AJ credit, but... I call the haters or people that don't mm. really you know, want to see him win. Not really trying to find excuses as to why Ruiz didn't win, other than the fact that AJ boxed really, really well mm. and did things that he's never done before. People didn't think he could do. And basically, he just completely outboxed and outclassed Andy Ruiz. And, you know, these people weren't saying that. Three days before, they weren't saying, oh, look, Ruiz don't look sharp. You know, Ruiz not in shape. Everybody mm-hmm. from the media basically picked Ruiz that night at ringside after the workout. And, you know, I think AJ deserves a huge amount of credit. Because no, he does. He had to go in and produce a game plan. But he's not him. You know, you'd see him sting Ruiz in a fight and, you know, and I would just scream, just move, don't, don't. You could see in his face how he loves to fight. But he had to put together a really disciplined performance and it was, it was out of the norm for AJ. But to do it that way under that much pressure, I thought was, was outstanding. Eddie, um, you're not going to be able to tell us in concrete terms tonight, but obviously the IBF and the WBO, two of the world title belts that um, Anthony now controls and you control as promoter, the mandatories are up from the two heads of those sanctioning bodies. Um, what Will you, over Christmas, be organising that? Are you already there in yeah, terms no, of what you're going to do It's underway next? now. It's underway now. I mean, you don't get any clear well, it's a lot easier when you don't have any belts. You know, <laughs> all of a sudden you win and it's like letter after letter gets fired in, you know, negotiation periods start with him. Negotiation periods start with him. Purse bids and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I think that what we're trying to establish first is we want the governing bodies to tell us who goes first. You know, from the rotation system, um, historically, chronologically, who is first? Is it Pulev? Or is it Usyk? For me, and looking at the rules, it is probably Pulev because that mandatory was called before. But if it's Usyk, Josh will, will fight both of them because he wants to keep his belt. So, you know, we need them to establish who goes first. Once we do that, we will try and execute negotiations and get that fight. Where's it going to be? I don't know. You know, all these mandatory challenges, rightfully so, want as much money as possible to fight anti-Joshua. And it's the shot at the big time, both financially and in a legacy sense. And we'll have to establish where that fight will be, when it will be, off the top of my head, end of April, early May, something like that for his next fight. Spurs, um, Madison Square Garden, Africa, Middle East, everywhere is in play. I mean, we've probably had five or six approaches since Saudi of other countries that would love to stage an anti-Joshua fight. He would love to come home and, and fight in England again. It would have been probably about a year and a half 
time that fight comes around since he boxed in the UK. So it gets really complicated now, unfortunately, with the politics of boxing. But he does want to make sure that he maintains his belts. Sometimes it's not possible, but that's what he's looking to do. And, and whoever's called as the first mandatory, he will be looking to uh, to fight. Eddie, the final thing from us tonight before we let you go back to your family is, um, obviously, Dillian was on the card. He's been exonerated by UCAD. Spencer and I are going to talk about that in a minute because I've spoken to UCAD during the week as well. Um, you know, it's great that he's back. Big Dill as he was. He was, whatever he was, 280-odd pounds. Um, mm. He was a big Dill. Um, you must be delighted for him. And what do you do with Dillian? Do you use him to leverage against the WBC now that he's back mandated by them as the next challenger? Well, firstly, I'm so pleased for Dillian because he went through a horrific time. I mean, we'll talk about the downs of Anthony Joshua. I mean, the downs of Dillian White, you know, when he was already cleared by UCAD and, and still presumed guilty by the general public. And now, you know, it's great to see people, you know, having to eat their words and actually give Dillian the respect that he deserves now that he's completely cleared um, by UCAD. He is mandatory. The only frustrating thing for me is that, you know, that Dillian White was supposed to be and was written in stone to be the mandatory of the Wilder Fury winner. Mm. Um, and when this issue arose, the WBC suspended him. Nobody else suspended him. You know, UCAD didn't suspend him. His own commission, the British Boxing Board of Control, didn't suspend him. But the WBC did, and they delayed the mandatory till 2021. Now, the ruling has taken place. He is completely innocent. The WBC should be installing him as mandatory to the winner of Wilder Fury, and we'll be writing to them to do so. It just seems that, you know, it's a protection of the champion in Deontay Wilder. You know, no one seems to want to fight Dillian Watt from that side. And when he does become mandatory, my worry is the WBC will just make Dillian White, uh, sorry, Deontay Wilder franchise champion. Mm. And Dillian White will never get a shot at him. I don't, I don't know it's what. Not else right, that. It's not right. Do. That is not no, right. That is not right. It's a disgrace. You know, look, look, at, look at Pulev, right? I mean, how has he become mandatory? Look at the people Dillian White's boxed and beaten, yeah. you know, from Chisora twice in Wolves to Joseph Parker to Oscar Rivas. You know, he's been through all of them. Who has Pulev beat to become mandatory? And to be honest, even though we represent him, who has Alexander Usyk beaten? I mean, that's just the rules stating that the undisputed or the, the super champion at Cruiserweight moves up and becomes automatic mandatory. We know that, but he has only beaten Chaz Witherspoon. Anyway, you've got mm. Dillian White. has been through all these guys. He's been at number one for, blimey, I don't know, two, nearly two years. Mm. You know, and, and I don't see why... He's not getting the shot that he deserves. And it's really frustrating. And it'll be even more frustrating if he gets his shot and they make someone a franchise champion because he doesn't want to be gifted a world title shot. You know, Dillian, one of those fighters that hasn't come up through ABA championships and GB podium squads and Olympic games, he went out, he was paying himself to get on small hall shows. Mm. His rise to the number one spot of the heavyweight division has been sensational. And I don't see why he can't get what he deserves. You know, and he's had to go through hell these last few months. And he's still not getting the respect he deserves. So we'll be writing to the WBC. If he has to wait till 2021, so be it. But I don't see why. You know, and I really hope that, you know, he's given the respect, like I said, that he deserves. And he finally gets a shot at the World Heavyweight Championship in 2020. Not 2021, because it shouldn't go on any longer. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. We then turned our attention to the other side of the promotional equation and the chief of Queensbury promotions, Mr. Frank Warren. Here's what he had to tell us about the heavyweight division and his man on the block, Daniel Dubois. But also, of course, about Tyson Fury and his upcoming fight with Deontay Wilder. I feel quite privileged that I'm promoting him. He's an exciting, as you say, young talent. He's fighting uh, at the Copper Box on next Saturday, the 21st, against Fujimoto, a 20, 21-on-1 um, guy from Japan who's ranked by the WBA, I think the WBO now. And uh, this is a you know this is a, 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 a very good fight for him. It hopefully comes through it. He'll get a WBA ranking, which is what we're working working on. And it's funny, you're talking about you know George Foreman and... Uh, Tyson, I, I promoted. Obviously, I, I promote Tyson still. You know, look after it, look after him. But um, I promoted George Foreman years ago in the UK, brought him over. So uh, I've been quite privileged with these heavyweights. Well, when when was that, Frank? And tell us a little bit about that uh, with George. That was at London Arena when when um, we built London Arena, yes. and uh, back in the oh, it was, it, when he come, when he when he came back, it would it'd be around sort of. Um, late eighties, early nineties, and uh, he was on the comeback trail. And I brought him over. He had a fight. As I say, he had a fight here, and it went one round. He blasted the guy out in one round. It's one thing about George, he could punch. Because he was, he was saying that um, he was mocking himself, saying, "I hope no man ever has to come back again um, at that age." And uh, at 46 to win the world title again. I don't think anyone will ever win the world's heavyweight title back at 45, 46 again. Can you see that? Well, I, I hope, like you said, they don't have the need to do it. You know, he decided to do it. And he was a totally different man the second time round. The first time round, he was very surly. You mm. know, the press didn't get much out of him. The second time round, 
it, it was like he'd been injected with a gramophone needle. You know, you couldn't keep him quiet, and he was uh, he was he was you know tremendous uh, for the promotion. And you know, and we sold out uh, with, with our show, and uh, as you say, went on to win the world title. But I hope that he has the need to do that. You know, it's, it's, it's like you know Spencer knows better than anyway. You know, some fighters fighters um, want to fight. They, you know, that's what they are. They're fighting men. But there is a time when you when you shouldn't be doing it, and as you get older, it's obviously more risky. It's funny, you know, because it was September the twenty fifth, nineteen ninety. He was forty one years and two hundred and fifty eight days old. Of, obviously, against Terry Anderson, his record was sixty nine and two at the time, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a two minutes fifty nine second knockout, and and that that sold out. And he was fighting Evander Holyfield next, believe it or not. Um, yeah. A year later, and he said that was the fight against Holyfield a year later that made him realise, even though he lost to Holyfield, that made him realise he'd learnt the technique to to win the world title back, realising that he could box behind his jab. Obviously, it sounds like he flattened Terry Anderson. How much does Daniel Dubois need to finesse his game, or are you just going to let him off the leash and set him loose on on all the other heavyweights in the division by, say, the end of next year? No, at all. You know, look, everybody knows he's a big puncher. That's his reputation. He's blasted everybody out. He's knocked, knocked over most of his sparring partners as well because he's so heavy-handed. But having said that, when we made the uh, British title fight with him and Nathan Gorman, Nathan was undefeated at the time and is a you know is an extremely good boxer. Um, and everybody thought said it was a boxer against a puncher, and if it went past four rounds, that Nathan would take him to school. But it turned out he was the better boxer on the night. He's got a great jab, Dad. Continuing to learn, and for me, you know, uh, if you can't jab, you can't fight. Mm. Um, and he, he his, his jab is becoming a serious weapon, and it's uh, and and you know, like most fight, you know, you're talking about George Foreman and a lot of big punches. There comes a time when you when you when you you catch guys with a big shot, you don't take them out, and you've got to have a plan B. Yeah. And if you as I say, you've got to be out of box. And Daniel's learning his trade. Uh, Martin Bowers doing a fantastic job with him. Agreed. And the boxing side of him is is getting better and better. And uh, and I'm I'm pleased with him at the stage he's at now. For me, he's the best young heavyweight at this stage of his career that I've ever been involved with. Yeah, I, I, I spoke to Martin Bowers about Daniel Dubois, had an, an in-depth conversation with him. Um, he told me that he lives in the gym, he lives, eats, sleeps the sport, and he's learning, improving all the time. My big question, Frank, is how long will you be able to hold him back? Because mm. as we saw against Nathan Gorman, which going into the fight was considered a 50-50 fight, he systematically broke Gorman down and, and, and took him apart and proved that how much he's matured as a fighter at such a young age. And I really believe that 2020 is going to be a huge year for him. Huge. And, and, and I see him knocking on the door for world titles, even even by the end of next year. You know, I, I believe he's that good and he's improving at such a rate. Is it hard to hold him back, Frank, or do you feel that he's sort of nearly ready? Well, he, first of all, he's a consummate professional, uh, Spencer. You know, he, 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 I mean, he doesn't even have a mobile phone. All he does is focus on boxing. He's boxing... Boxing, boxing, that's what he wants. He's got a dream and he wants to achieve it. At the moment, you know, as you just mentioned, Gareth, but uh, uh, AJ just fought Ruiz. He's now looks like he's got a couple of mandatories that can be put on him. So it's been interesting to see whether he vacates one of the titles or not. You've got um, uh, 
Tyson will be fighting on the 22nd February against Ruiz. So they're tied up and they'll probably be, you know, they're probably, whatever the result of that, they may, there will be, probably be a rematch with them again. So all those titles are all tied up at the moment. So all I've got to do from outside the ring for my man is to manoeuvre him and get him to a position where he's getting experience and he's getting experience against you know, good opposition and we're moving him up the rankings. So what I, where I want him to be is by um, this time, or certainly by October this time next year, to be in a number one spot where he's a mandatory challenger for one of these guys, whoever's, whoever's, whoever's holding the titles, which I believe uh, Tyson will be one of those. And, who's ever, and we'll see where, what happens with the other one. But whatever happens, I want him to be in the number one spot so that when we do get down to negotiations and so forth, we haven't got to worry about options and all that rubbish. We can do a straight deal or go to Persbid because our guy would be in the position where the, 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 the defence of whoever is champion will be false on him. And I, and I believe he's got the tools and he's got the, the ability to get himself into that number one spot. What you seem to be suggesting, though, Frank, is that you, you didn't mention the word trilogy there, but you, you seem to be indicating that if, if the fight goes the way that you... Maybe many of us see uh, it going between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder the second time. I, I think it's the... You know, forgive me for saying this. I think it's the, sec, it's the same fight the, the, the second time around in terms of what they're going to do. Tyson will box. We know he might make adjustments. Um, he'll want to avoid that huge right hand of Deontay Wilder's, and Deontay Wilder will be patient and stalk with the right hand. So if we do get another mammoth, epic, dramatic night, they may well go into a trilogy, which presumably, given how many times a year they fight now, that would take them out if they do fight on February the 22nd in Las Vegas to around September, October, which means well, that... it go on probably before then. But, you know, then they'll have some time. But, but, but you know, that fight, um, it's all about styles, you know. Deontay Wilder, I don't think, can, can adapt or change his style. He is what he is. He's a massive puncher. He's dangerous for every second of the round. Correct. You know, yeah. His last fight against uh, Ortiz, you know, he, he, in, my, in my book, he was behind in that fight. Every round, probably, pulled, Frank. He probably lost yeah, every round, yeah, didn't he? You know, even the round he knocked he him did, out in. He, yeah. and, he put, and he pulls out that bomb, and, and he exploded. I think the difference between this time round with Tyson is that Tyson had come back. He lost 11 stone in weight. He had two sort of basically easy jobs before he, he, before we took the fight with them, um, or he took the fight with Wilder, and a lot of people thought that was too soon. And basically, he was training to make the weight rather mm. than training for a fight, you know, to get the weight off. But he's been in magnificent condition since that fight. You know, he's had a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, run-outs in the, in the States to build his profile on ESPN. Uh, and he's also been in the gym, training hard, working hard. He even had a, a, a you know a little dip in the WWE, but still had to train and, and get fit to do that. So he's not having to lose all that weight now. He's actually training for a fight, a specific fight. Um, and Wilder is dangerous, as you know, as I just said. And he he had Tyson down not once but twice in that fight. So Tyson's got to be very very uh, on the ball because because. As much as we know, I believe he'll outbox him. He's just, you know, he's going to, he's going to have to, you know, be fully focused, concentrating for every every second of every round. Then tucked up at his room on a Saturday night, apparently with no mobile phone, but we managed to get hold of him on one. The dynamite himself, Daniel Dubois. Here's what he had to say. 
You must feel Frank said he wants you in the mix by October next year. I know you want to be in the mix tomorrow. But, you know, it must feel, Daniel, like you've come along at the right time. Yeah, definitely. Um, boxing, as they say, is about time. And then right now, peak timing for me. It's happening in the heavyweight division. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm definitely going to be in the mix. Now, who's the most talented, you or your sister Caroline? Um, I'll leave that for... Um, I personally was go for my sister. Oh, I knew, I knew he was going to say that. You're such a... You're su- oh, I'm... Listen, I'm saying that because Caroline's been decorated recently and we're all hoping. She's already a kind of world youth champion and all those things, and she's a brilliant athlete. She's a smaller athlete than you physically, but we're all hoping, and you must be at home, and your father and your mother and your family hoping that she qualifies for the Olympics next year and we get to see her her make history in Tokyo as a women's boxer. Yeah, definitely, for sure. She's... um... Very, she's after that, and I'm sure she'll get there. With all the hard work that she's putting on, no doubt she will. Who's the toughest person on you in your life? It's it's the old man, isn't it? Um, of course, he's definitely my dad. He's the one that got me in the game from a very young age. And, yeah, just to put into words of how the journey's gone so far, he's definitely been the toughest person. But it's all been, you know, all been, you know, put to good use, you know, from where I am today it's worth it have you seen Blue Story yet the movie no I'm not sure it's a it's a it's a brilliant film that's just come out about um lots of black kids in South London getting into gangs and getting to it's an amazing movie go and see it and anyone listening it's an amazing movie and you've got kids fighting each other in gangs over what Mm. postcode they 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 live in yeah Mm. you know that scenario don't you Daniel you know that scenario (laughs) you know Sorry? You know I'm that sorry. scenario where young guys get involved in, in, in gangs and trouble with each other because of different postcodes yeah. that they live in, yeah? Honestly, Mike, I've never experienced it. My dad just kept us in the gym and uh, it's been a really um, regimented sort of military sort of um, background I'm coming from. I've never experienced that, you know. Mm. But I'm sure it's in the papers and everywhere. Everyone seems to be talking about how a lot has happened in the youth today, but... But did boxing keep you out of that, do you think? Do what your dad boxing did for you? Gave me a clear, straight path to where I am today. It's been, you know, um, all down to my dad putting me in the game from a very young age and, and sticking with me, sticking by me every step of the way. Yeah, you talk about your dad um, putting you in the gym and sticking by you. Another man that has stuck by you is Martin Bowers, who seems to have done an incredible job with you down at the Peacock Gym. I was saying to Frank Warren, who was on the show earlier on, how much work you both put in the gym and how much you've improved and how hard it must be to hold you back because, I mean, you're just coming on leaps and bounds and that's that's a lot to do with Martin Bowers. He does a great job with you down at the Peacock, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, we're definitely a good teamwork. And, you know, we just we just keep working and we work well together and it's, we work hard and every day, every time we get in the gym, we just push each other on and bring stuff out of each other that, you know, on the pads, I don't, I, I throw different combinations and work on different little things. And he's been an excellent help in my career so far. Um. Tell us a little bit about um, your opponent next weekend, Mr. Fujimoto. 
Um, mm. What are you going to do to him in London? You're going to KO him like you have most other people? Yeah, certainly the plan. Um, we've got the boxing and, you know, but, you know, we don't get paid for overtime in boxing, as they say. So if as soon as the opportunity comes for a knockout, I'm definitely taking it. But to box and be smart and be skillful at the same time. And where do you see yourself in the next 12 months or so, Daniel? Where do you see yourself in, yeah, 12 months' time? Um, realistically, Frank's talked about a world title so at the end of the year, so I definitely see that being a possibility once, um, yeah, once the opportunities are there and keep winning, they'll definitely be at the end of the year what possible world title show. And you've seen all the champions out there, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury's there, and Anthony Joshua most recently winning the world, world title back. You, do you fancy yourself against those guys now, or do you think you need a little more time to develop? Um, all the experience I can get is definitely vital, but honestly, with whoever I step in the room with, I'll be 100% back myself against whoever it is. But um, it definitely experience helps a lot. So these next couple of fights are really important for my career, especially. Dynamite, um, what did you make? Give us your assessment of uh, of Anthony Joshua last weekend against Andy Ruiz. Were you impressed? Did, were you not impressed? Did he look vulnerable? What, give well, us your did assessment. What I had to do. Did what he had to do. Um, he got box smart and uh, stick, stick to a set of tactics they put together, obviously, beforehand, and he won the fight really comfortably. There's not much you can say. He played his part in the affair and job done. Well what, done. What would you have done to Ruiz? Well, yeah, play the same thing behind the jab all night long. And we finished off this week with another Hall of Famer in the legendary octogenarian promoter, Bob Arum, who told us in no uncertain terms that his fighter, Kubrat Pulev, will be the guy to knock Anthony Joshua out in 2020. Can I first get your opinion, by the way, about uh, Andy Ruiz Jr. last weekend in Saudi Arabia? I've seen quite a lot of very strong comments from you. You promoted him for a long time, and you were very disappointed with him coming in at 20 stone, three pounds, weren't you? Yeah, but you understand, I'm not surprised. Because that was the problem when we were promoting him, that in, you know, that he would uh, uh, come in for one fight at, uh, I got to say pounds, I can't use stone, <laughs> yeah. can't calculate that well, you know, at 240 pounds, uh, and then uh, uh, the next fight come in close to 300 pounds. Wow. And uh, uh, so we've seen that throughout Andy's career. And he always promised to be on a diet, to be in great shape, but he had no control. And uh, he, he, fortunately for him, he came in sort of fairly heavy in the first time he fought Joshua because he had been coming off a fight, uh, that his first fight for PBC, uh, where he apparently trained very hard and was in good shape. Yeah. Uh, but once he won that fight from Joshua... The old Andy uh, resurfaced. He's a great party animal. I mean, you know, I mean, it's 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 almost like uh, he would be perfect. Uh, you remember the old movie Animal House? He would <laughs> yeah. be perfect in there. You know, so it didn't surprise me. But for me, I mean, you know, it's disgraceful where a guy rises to the top, 
wins the heavyweight championship. Great accolade. I mean, it's an amazing achievement. And then squanders it all away. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, the last one to do that was Buster Douglas. Well, it's very similar because he was. Well, there were very there were parallels because Buster Douglas was fifteen pounds heavier after he fought Mike Tyson when he fought Evander Holyfield. And and um, well, I remember they when after after Douglas fought Tyson and you know knocked out Tyson to win the championship. His next fight was against Evander Holyfield in Las Vegas. And uh, Steve Wynn was uh, promoting that yep. fight. So Buster Douglas stayed at the Wynn Hotel, and he would. they have a golf course there, and he would run on the golf course, and <laughs> he would start the run, and then he would have a car take him to the 18th hole where he would complete the run. <laughs> Brilliant. That's really bad. Listen, staying on the heavyweights, before Spence jumps in in a second, asks you about all manner of things, um, we're still waiting for the confirmation, officially the press conference, all of that kind of thing for Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Las Vegas, February the 22nd. Are we going to get that soon? Yeah, I mean, you're going to get that when you get that. I mean, it, 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 it's on for that time. But the official press announcement and all of that good stuff is going to be done in spectacular fashion, never before done before. And I'm not going to say how it's going to be done, but it's going to be spectacular and something really special. Uh, we had a meeting uh, uh, last week with all the the principal promoters, uh, Wilder's promoter, and uh, ourselves, and we're planning something, you know, a rollout that is really going to be special. But, Bob, can you guarantee that that fight is going to happen and take place on February the 22nd? I think that's the the thing that people really want to know. Is it going to happen on the 22nd? Well, absent a disaster, like an injury to one of the other fighters, I would say, Absolutely guaranteed. Fantastic. And how do you perceive if Tyson Fury comes away with a victory this time, is there a good chance that he will fight Anthony Joshua in 2020? I really can't talk about that because I, you know, I, I've never talked to, uh, uh, to, to Eddie Tyson with, yeah. of, about mm. that. Mm. And, and without having a conversation I'm not going to shoot my mouth off. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, why not? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think my guy Tyson Fury is better uh, than any other heavyweight in the world, and so yeah, I mean, the Joshua fight would be a big fight uh, after Wilder, uh, but I haven't talked to Tyson about it. But for me, I think, hey, bring it on. Yeah, I think uh, Anthony Joshua was was heard to say that that's the fight that he does want. That's the fight that he's looking for. He wants to unify those titles. So it seems that it may be easy to make from his side because I know that Anthony's looking to be pushing for that for 2020. Let me let you in on a secret. Uh, You may agree or you may disagree. But by that time, there ain't going to be an Anthony Joshua as a top fighter because I got a Bulgarian named Pulev who's going to knock him on his ass in his next fight. Wow. So let us ask you that then. When do you expect that to uh, to take place? Is that going to get ahead of the Alexander Usyk? Will the IBF mandatory trump the WBO mandatory? 
Well, it's not Trump. I mean, we're all dealing with great boxing people, with the IBF, with uh, Paco Valcarcel at the WBO, uh, with the USIC people. I mean, we're all friendly and so forth. And uh, I, I pretty much, I think everybody is in agreement uh, that Pulev uh, will be next. Wow. And Bob, it'd be remiss of us not to talk about this wonderful card there is in New York tonight, Madison Square Garden. I mentioned Terence Crawford against Kavalowskis, but of course, there's a sleeper potential fight of the year on this card between the undefeated Teofimo Lopez um, and of course Richard Comey for the IBF lightweight title. I am so excited about this fight tonight. You must be. Oh, great, great fight. You're absolutely, I mean, everybody, or most people expect Crawford uh, to, to, to go right through uh, Kavaliskas, and, and he may very well, because I think Crawford is the preeminent welterweight in the world. Uh, the the Comey-Lopez uh, fight, I mean, that's another thing. I mean, the if you want to uh, talk about a fight being competitive, you don't talk about box. You don't talk to boxing people uh, who claim they're experts. You look at what the book, bookmakers are doing, and that fight is even money. And uh, uh, Comey uh, is a very, very good fighter, good champion. He got a great right hand, and Lopez hasn't been tested uh, with against that type of opponent. But Lopez is a prodigy. Uh, so uh, while I like Lopez's chances in the fight, I mean, it's really a pick em fight. I, I think it's going to be a great, great fight. And the winner of that fight uh, gets gets in into the, the kitchen, the hot kitchen, uh, against uh, uh, Vasil Lomachenko, one of the best fighters in the world, if not the best. And um, just talk to us for a moment. Obviously, um you know, Spencer and I just spoke about these three fights in in the previous section. But um, you know, it's uh, it's another bit of mastery from you getting uh, Michael Conlon his opportunity uh, to fight uh, Vladimir Nikitin. Um, of course, the guy who he famously and you where you spotted him, he put his fingers up. Of course, and it not in a nice way, but in a very angry way at the Rio Olympics after he was robbed in inverted commas of his fight with nicotine. Well, well let, let's say it real the way it happened. He put his fingers up, the finger, the middle finger, but that was designed for our friend Vladimir Putin uh, <laughs> because he claimed that, that, uh, that Putin, who controls everything in Russia, had fixed the Olympics. Anyway, when, when Mick signed with us, one of the first things he asked us is could we arrange a fight uh, between him and uh, the Keaton who uh, got that decision against him uh, at the Olympics. And we've been working towards that. And that fight will happen tonight, New York. Uh, and it, it should be a very interesting fight. Because while it's clear that Conlon won that fight, and they, the decision was not merited uh, going to uh, Nikitin, uh, Nikitin reminds me that in a prior uh, uh, tournament, he fought Conlon and beat Conlon and deserved the decision. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week uh, live on TalkSport from 9pm till midnight for the weekly TalkSport Fight Night show. I'm Gareth A. Davis. Enjoy.
My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 